0: CHAPTER Twenty Four OF THE CITY OF FIRE, BY GRACE LIVINGSTON HILL. This LibriVox recording is in the Public Domain. CHAPTER Twenty Four. In the gray of the morning, Billy came to himself and stared around in the stuffy grimness everywhere. The gag was still in his mouth. He put up his hand involuntarily and pulled it out, and then remembered that his hands had been tied. Then he must have succeeded in breaking the cord. THE OTHER HAND WAS STILL ENCUMBERED AND HIS FEET WERE TIED TOGETHER, BUT IT HAPPENED THAT THE WELL HAND WAS THE FREED ONE, AND SO AFTER A HARD STRUGGLE HE SUCCEEDED IN GETTING OUT OF THE TANGLE OF KNOTS AND UPON HIS FEET. HE WORKED CAUTIOUSLY BECAUSE HE WASN'T SURE HOW MUCH OF WHAT HE REMEMBERED WAS DREAM AND HOW MUCH WAS REALITY. THE TWO MEN MIGHT BE IN THE HOUSE YET, VERY LIKELY WERE, ASLEEP SOMEWHERE. HE MUST STEAL DOWN AND GET AWAY BEFORE THEY AWOKE. THERE WAS SOMETHING WARM AND STICKY ON THE FLOOR AND IT HAD GOT ON HIS CLOTHES, BUT HE TOOK NO NOTICE OF IT at first. He wondered what that sick pain in his shoulder was, but he had not time to stop and see now or even think about it. He must call the chief before the men were awake. So he managed to get upon his feet, land steady himself against the wall, for he felt dizzy and faint when he tried to walk. But he managed to get into the hall and peer into each room, and more and more as he went he felt he was alone in the house. Then he had failed and the men were gone. Ah, gee, Pat too! What a fool he had been, thinking he could manage the affair he ought to have taken the chief into his confidence and let him come along. Ah, gee, Down in the kitchen, he found a pail of water and a cup. He drank thirstily, his head felt hot, and the veins in his neck throbbed. There seemed to be a lump on his forehead. He bathed his face and head. How good it felt! Then he found a whiskey bottle on the table, half full. This, after carefully smelling, he poured over his bruised wrists, sopping it on his head and forehead, and finally pouring some down his shoulder that pained so, and all that he did was done blindly, like one in a dream, just an involuntary searching for means to go on and fulfill his purpose. After another drink of water he seemed to be able to think more clearly. That tapping in the cellar yesterday, what had that been? He must look and see. Yes, that was really what he had come about. Perhaps the men were down there yet hidden away." He opened the cellar door and listened. Doggone it, where was that gun of his? But the flashlight. Yes, the flashlight. He shot the light ahead of him as he went down, moving as in a dream, but keeping true to type, cautious, careful, stealthy. At last he was down. No one there. He turned the little flash into every nook and cranny, not excepting the ledges above the cellar wall whereon the floor beams rested. Once he came on a tin box, long and flat, and new-looking. It seemed strange to meet it here. There was no dust upon it. He poked it down with his torch and it sprawled open at his feet. Papers, long folded papers printed with writing in between, like bonds or deeds or something. He stooped and waved the flash above them and caught the name Shafton in one. It was an insurance paper, house and furniture. He felt too stupid to quite understand, but it grew into his consciousness that these were the things he was looking for. He gathered them up, stuffing them carefully inside his blouse. They would be safe there. Then he turned to go upstairs, but stumbled over a pile of coal out in the floor and fell. It gave him a sick sensation to fall. It almost seemed that he couldn't get up again, but now he had found the papers he must. He crawled to his knees and felt around, then turned his light on. This was strange. A heap of coal out in the middle of the floor, almost a foot from the rest. A rusty shovel lay beside it, a chisel and a big stone. Ah, the tapping! He got up, forgetting his pain, and began to kick away the coal, turning the flashlight down. Yes, there was a crack in the cement, a loose piece. He could almost lift it with his foot. He pried at it with the toe of his shoe, and then lifted it with much effort out of the way. It was quite a big piece, more than a foot in diameter. The ground was soft underneath, as if it had been recently worked over. He stooped and plunged the fingers of his good hand in and felt around, lying the light on the floor so it would shed a glare over the spot where he worked. He could fill down several inches. There seemed to be something soft, like cloth or leather. He pulled at it and finally brought it up. A leather bag girt about with a thong of leather. He picked the knot and turned the flash in. It sent forth a million green lights. There seemed also to be a rope of white glistening things that reminded him of Saxxy's tears. That brought a pang. Saxxy would be crying. He must remember that and do something about it. He must have been away a long time and perhaps those men would be coming back but it wouldn't do to leave these things here. They were the shaft and jewels. What anybody wanted of a lot of shiny little stones like that and a rope of tears. But then if they did, they did, and they were theirs, and they ought to have them. This was the thing he had come to do, get those jewels and papers back. Make up as far as he could for what he had done. And he must do it now quick before he got sick. He felt he was getting sick, and he mustn't think about it, or he would turn into Aunt Saxon." That was the queerest thing, back in his mind he felt this was Aunt Saxon down here in the haunted cellar, playing with green stones and ropes of tears, and he must hurry quick before she found him and told him he couldn't finish what he had to do. He did the work thoroughly, feeling down in the hole again but found nothing more. Then he stuffed the bag inside his blouse and buttoned up his sweater with his well hand and somehow got up the stairs. That arm pained him a lot, and he found his sweater was wet. "'so he took his handkerchief and tied it tight around the place that hurt the most, "'holding one end in his teeth to make the knot firm. "'The sun blinded him as he stumbled down the back steps and went to get his wheel, "'but somehow he managed it, plunging through the brakes and tangles and back to the road. "'It ran in his brain where the Shaftons lived out in the country on the Jersey Shore. "'He had a mental picture in the back of his mind how to get there,' He knew that when he struck the high road, there was nothing to do but keep straight on till he crossed the state line, and then he would find it somehow, although it was miles away. If he had been himself, he would have known it was an impossible journey in his present condition, but he wasn't thinking of impossibilities. He had to do it, didn't he? He, Billy, had set out to make reparation for the confusion he had wrought in his small world, and he meant to do so, though all hell should rise against him. Hell! That was it. He could see the flames in hot little spots where the morning sun struck. He could hear the bells striking the hour in the world he used to know that was not for him anymore. He zigzagged along the road in a crazy way, and strange to say he met nobody he knew, for it was early." Ten minutes after he passed the crossroads, Elder Harakot went across the highway toward economy to his day's work, and he would have loved to have seen Billy and his rusty old wheel, staggering along in that crazy way and smelling of whiskey like a whole moonshiner, fairly reeking with whiskey as he jogged down the road, and a queer little tinkle now and then just inside his blouse as if he carried loaded dice. Oh, he would have loved to have caught Billy shooting crap, But he was too late, and Billy swam on, the sun growing hotter on his aching head, the light more blinding to his bloodshot eyes, the lump bigger and bluer on his grimy forehead. About ten o'clock a car came by, slowed down, the driver watching Billy, though Billy took no note of him. Billy was looking on the ground, dreaming he was searching for the state line. He had a crazy notion it ought to be there somewhere. The man in the car stopped and called to him, "'How about putting your wheel in the back seat and letting me give you a lift?' "'You look pretty tired.' "'Billy lifted bleared eyes and stopped pedaling, "'almost falling off his wheel, "'but recovering himself with a wrench of pain and sliding off. "'All right,' said Billy. "'Thanks.' "'You look all in, son,' said the man kindly. "'Yup,' said Billy laconically. "'Yam. Been up all night. Care if I sleep?' "'Help yourself,' said the man, "'giving a lift with the wheel and putting it in behind.' "'Billy curled down on the back seat without further ceremony. "'Where are you going, son?' Billy named the country seat of the Shaftons, having no idea how far away it was. The man gave a whistle. "'What? On that wheel? Well, go to sleep, son. I'm going there myself, so don't worry. I'll wake you up when you get there.' So Billy slept through the first long journey he had taken since he came to live with Aunt Saxon, slept profoundly with an oblivion that almost amounted to coma. Sometimes the man, looking back, was tempted to stop and see if the boy was yet alive, But a light touch on the hot forehead showed him that life was not extinct, and they whirled on. Three hours later, Billy was awakened by a sharp shake of his sore shoulder and a stinging pain that shot through him like fire. Fire! Fire! He was on fire! That was how he felt as he opened his eyes and glared at the stranger. Aw, look out there! What are you doing? he blazed. What do you think I am? A football? Don't touch me! I'll get out! This the place? Thanks for the ride! I was all in. "'Say, do you know a guy by the name of Shafton?' "'Shafton?' asked the man, astonished. "'Are you going to Shafton's?' "'Sure,' said Billy. "'Anything wrong about that? "'Where does he hang out?' The look of Billy, and more than all the smell of him, made it quite apparent to the casual observer that he had been drinking, and the man eyed him compassionately. "'Poor little fool. "'He's beginning young. "'What on earth does he want at Shafton's?' "'I suppose you've come down after the reward,' grinned the man.' "'I could have saved you the trouble if you'd told me. "'The kidnapped son has got home. "'They are not in need of further information.' "'Billy gave him a superior leer with one eye closed. "'You may not know all there is to know about that,' he said impudently. "'Where did you say he lived?' "'The man shrugged his shoulders indifferently. "'Suit yourself,' he said. "'I doubt if they'll see you. "'They have had nothing but a stream of vagrants for two days, "'and they're about sick of it. "'They live on the next estate, "'and the gateway is right around that corner. "'I ain't no vagrant.' glared Billy, and limped away with old trusty under his left arm. No one molested him as he walked in the arched and ivied gateway, for the gatekeeper was off on a little private errand of his own at a place where prohibition had not yet penetrated. Billy felt too heavy and dizzy to mount his wheel, but he leaned on the saddle as he walked and tried to get things straight in his head. He oughtn't to have gone to sleep, that's what he oughtn't, but this job would soon be over and then he would hike it for home. Gee, wouldn't home feel good? And Aunt Saxon would bathe his head with witch hazel and make cold things for him to drink. Ah, gee! The pedigree dogs of which the place boasted a number came suddenly down upon him in a great flare of noise, but dogs were always his friends, why should he worry? A pity he couldn't stop to make friends with them just now. Some dogs! Here, pup! Gee, what a dog to own! The dogs whined and fawned upon him. Pedigree or no pedigree, rags and whiskey and dirt notwithstanding, they knew a man when they saw one, and Billy hadn't batted an eyelid when they tried their worst tramp barks on him. They wagged their silky tails and tumbled over each other to get first place to him, and so escorted proudly, he dropped old trusty by a clump of imported rhododendrons, and limped up the marble steps to the wide vistas of circular piazzas that stretched to seemingly infinite distances, and wondered if he should ever find the front door." An imposing butler appeared with a silver tray and stood aghast. "'Shafton live here?' inquired Billy, trying to look businesslike. "'Like to see him or the missus a minute,' he added as the frowning vision bowed. The butler politely but firmly told him that the master and mistress had other business and no desire to see him. The young gentleman had come home, and the reward had been withdrawn. If it was about the reward he had come, he could go down to the village and find the detective. The house people didn't want to interview any more callers." "'Well, say,' said Billy, disgusted, "'after I've come all this way, too, "'you go tell her I've brought her jewels. "'You go tell her I've got here.' "'The butler opened the door a little wider. "'He suggested that seeing was believing. "'Not on your tin-type,' snapped Billy. "'I show em to nobody, "'and I give em to nobody but the owner. "'Where's the young fella? "'He knows me. "'Tell him I bring his ma's string of beads and things.' "'Billy was weary. "'His head was spinning round. "'His temper was rising.' "'Aw, you make me tired. Get out of my way!' He lowered his head and made a football dive with his head in the region of the dignified butler's stomach, and before that dignitary had recovered his poise, Billy, with two collies joyously escorting him, stood blinking in wonder over the great beautiful living room, for all the world as pretty as the church at home, only stranger, with things around that he couldn't make out the use of. "'Where are they at?' "'Where are the folks?' he shouted back to the butler who was coming after him with menace in his eye. "'What is the matter, Morris? What is all this noise about?' came a lady's voice in pettish tones from up above somewhere. "'Didn't I tell you that I wouldn't see another one of those dreadful people today?' Billy located her smooth, old, childish face at once and strode to the foot of the stairs, peering up at the lady, white with pain from his contact with the butler, but alert now to the task before him. "'Say, Miss Shafton, I got your jewels. "'Would you mind taking em right now? "'Cause I'm all in and I want to get home.' His head was going around now like a merry-go-round, but he steadied himself by the banister. "'Why, what do you mean?' asked the lady, descending a step or two, a vision of marcelled white hair, violet and lace negligee, and well-preserved features. "'You've got them there? Let me see them.' "'He's been drinking, Sarah. Can't you smell it?' said a man's voice higher up come away and let morris deal with him really sarah we'll have to go away if this keeps up say you guy up there just shut your trap a minute won't you here miss shafton are these here yours billy struggled with the neck of his blouse and brought forth the leather bag gripped the knot fiercely in his teeth ran his fingers in the bag as he held it in his mouth his lamed arm hanging at his side and drew forth the magnificent pearls william my pearls shrieked the lady The gentleman came down incredulous and looked over her shoulder. "'I believe they are, Sarah,' he said. Billy leered feverishly up at him and produced a sheaf of papers, seemingly burrowing somewhere in his internal regions to bring them forth. "'And here, do these belong?' The master of the house gripped them. "'Sarah! The Bonds! And the South American shares!' They were too busy to notice Billy, who stood swaying by the newel post, his duty done now, the dogs grouped about him." "'Say, can I get me a drink?' he asked of the butler, who hovered near, uncertain what to be doing now that the tide was turned up. The lady looked up. "'Morris!' He scarcely heard the lady's words, but almost immediately a tall, slim glass of frosty drink that smelled of wild grapes, tasted of oranges, and cooled him down to the soul again, was put into his hand, and he gulped it greedily. "'Where did you say you found these, young man?' The gentleman eyed him sternly, and Billy's old spirit flamed up. I didn't say, said Billy. But you know we've got to have all the evidence before we can give the reward. Ah, oh, cut it out. I don't want no reward. Wouldn't take it if you give it to me. I just want to get home. Say, you got a telephone? Why, certainly. This was the most astonishing burglar. Well, where is it? Let me call long distance on it. I ain't got the tin now, but I'll pay you when I get back home. Why, the idea. Take him to the telephone, Morris. Right there. This one. But Billy had sighted one on a mahogany desk near at hand, and he toppled to the edge of the chair that stood before it. He took down the receiver in a shaky hand, calling long distance. This long distance? Well, gimme Economy 13. The Shaftons, for the instant, were busy looking over the papers, identifying each jewel, wondering if any were missing. They did not notice Billy till a gruff young voice rang out with a pathetic tremble in it. "'That you, chief? This is Billy.' "'Say, can I bother you to phone Miss Severn "'and ask her to tell my aunt I'm all right? "'Yes, tell her I'll be home soon now, and I'll explain. "'And, Chief, I'm mighty sorry those two guys got away, "'but I couldn't help it. "'We'll get him yet. "'Hope you didn't wait long. "'Tell you more when I see you. "'So long!' The boyish voice trailed off into silence as the receiver fell with a crash to the polished desk, and Billy slipped off the chair and lay in a huddled heap on the costly rug. "'Oh, mercy!' cried the lady. "'Is he drunk or what?' "'Come away, Sarah. "'Let Morris deal.' "'But he's sick, I believe, William. "'Look how white he is. "'I believe he's dead. "'William, he may have come a long way in the heat. "'He may have had a sunstroke. "'Morris, send for a doctor quick. "'And call the ambulance, too. "'You better telephone the hospital. "'We can't have him here. "'William, look here. "'What's this on his sleeve? "'Blood? "'Oh, William, and we didn't give him any reward.' And so, while the days hastened on, Billy lay between clean white sheets on a bed of pain in a private ward of a wonderful memorial hospital put up by the Shaftons in honor of a child that died. Tossing and moaning and dreaming of unquenchable fire, always trying to climb out of the hot crater that held him, and never getting quite to the top, always knowing there was something he must do, yet never quite finding out what it was. And back in Sabbath Valley Aunt Saxon prayed and cried and waited and took heart of cheer from the message the chief had sent to Lynn, and quietly the day approached for the trial of Mark Carter, but his mother did not yet know. End of chapter 24